It's time. We are in the Psalm Songs series. I cannot say that fast, so I have to space it out. But uh, the worship team has worked really hard to bring this song for you, so sit back, relax, and enjoy.
choice made for that song? Was that not just like the bomb diggity? I mean, I, I love that song. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I love Orleans. And so every once in a while, when I get to pick the song around here, it's like, yes, I get to pick this song and I'm going to pick this one. And uh, this time it was like, oh, you know, we've done that song before. And it's like, do you know how many times we've done Waymaker in this church? We can do Orleans twice. It's like, come on, let's do this thing. And I am so glad to have them doing it. Wow. Um, do you have a song? In relationship, today we're going to talk about relationships. Okay, clearly that's why we're doing this song, right? We're going to we're going to talk about a psalm, and we're going to talk about family and relationships. But mostly, this I want to talk about um, relation, marriage relationships. I, I want to talk about that. But do you guys have a song? You know, you have a song that comes on the radio and like, hey, that's me and you, girl. It's like, no, this is the song for my wife and I. This is the song when we're like driving down the road. And it's like, yeah, and we're singing at the top of our lungs in the car, both of us. And it's like, still the one. Okay, and and this, but honestly, I could have picked from a million of them because I mean for me for me when I you know like take my wife to heart it's like we can do radar love you know been driving all night my hands wet on the wheel you know what I'm talking about it's like I'm in a hurry to get her she's call me up and say hey hey guess what you know I'm free I don't have any more appointments you want to go on a date and I'm like I can't get there fast enough it's like yeah let's do that that's radar love for me or hey what about Eric Clapton you know you look wonderful tonight I mean come on if that doesn't put you in a dance mood and melt your girl's heart, you know, she looks wonderful tonight. It's like, oh my word, that will do it. Or how about Chris DeBerg? Some of you are like, Chris what? Is that what the Titanic hit, the DeBerg? It's like, no. Chris DeBerg did a song called Lady in Red. And if you haven't heard that one, just go, go get it on your list, man. Go get it on your list. I have a whole playlist on my phone, and this is the title of the playlist. Feel the, feel the love. That's, that's the playlist. And so it's like, hey, you know, if I've got a day off and I've got the, you know, the Bluetooth to myself and, you know, she's not paying attention, I'm like dialing it up. It's like, hey, we're going to like feel the love tonight. It's going to be good. Here it is. And so I have that. And probably my favorite all-time love song, Highway to the Danger Zone. You know, Kenny Loggins. Not for you? Well, it is. I don't care what you say. It's a love song. All right, if it makes you go fast, it's exciting, it's Top Gun, it's like, come on, it's still a, it's still a love song, that's it. But I want to thank Joanna and uh, John Hall for writing Orleans' song, Still the One. I want to thank Orleans for, for, for performing it for us back in 1976, before I even knew who she was. That was still, they, I was just, it was perfect, and that's the one I love. I love that song. There's just different songs in your guys' relationships that pop up and say, hey, that one's probably our song. And for us, you know, even if I'm just driving home and, and all of a sudden I hear REO Speedwagon, it's like, it's going to be date night. I don't care if it's Monday. It's going to be date night. We're going to go out and we're going to have dinner somewhere. It's going to be wonderful. Those, those are what they do. But listen, I want to talk about marriage, but I want to begin with a quote, okay? And maybe you're familiar with this quote. I'm not sure. Just listen to me as I try to do it justice. It's, it's in the words of a man that's referred to as the impressive clergyman. Maybe you know who he is. Maybe you don't. But this is the quote. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Love, true love, will follow you forever. That's what I want to talk about today as we look at a psalm, Psalm 128, 
that focuses on marriage, that, 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 that says enough to get me to be able to skip over to this and talk about it. You know, 2020 was very hard on marriages. It really was, honestly. And 2021 does not appear to be getting any easier for some folks. And so I want to talk about marriage. I actually wanted to do this a couple of weeks ago, but we put it in a lineup, and so I want to stick to the lineup, okay? But I want to talk about marriage. I want to talk about relationships. I want to talk about real things. And, and listen, I can't talk to your specific situation, but I can talk in general terms, okay? So I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody. I'm here to share with you the truth and the hope and the joy of what it means to embrace marriage. Psalm 128, we're going to read the whole thing, all six verses, okay? But it's all right. It says, and it's a song of a sense. This is a song. It says this is a song, it's a psalm, but it's a song of a sense. That means it's a song of going up to church. It's a song of going up to the temple. This is like David is saying, hey, uh, I wrote this song, song worship leader. I wrote this song, uh, I'm going to rip off Orleans is still the one. Uh, I want you to sing this psalm to the tune of still the one. Because they, you know, they didn't have a lot of creative people writing new you know, melodies. And so it's like, and you can read it in your Bible. It'll say, sing this to the tune of two doves sitting in a tree. You know, and it's like, it says that in your Bible. Okay, but this is sung to a, a tune. And this is the song that he wrote. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, and may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so here is, here is a scripture that talks to you and I just about the concept of, of uh, marriage. And so we're looking at a time that is a growing, uh, it's just a growing unprecedence of how many marriages are falling apart around us. And, and, the, and the question really has to do with what does it take to build a strong marriage and what does it take for marriages to fail? And so I want to share with you today, but I'm going to talk about the negative as well as the positive. So think of it like a battery, you know? The battery has a negative end and it has a positive end. If you put the wire on the negative end, nothing happens. If you put the, the wire on the positive end, nothing happens. But if you put the wire on the negative end and the positive end and then put something in the middle like a light bulb, it comes on. Okay, it has to work together. So the one's going to build on the other. And, and I'm, I'm just always worried if I, you know, I have to say, this is the truth. And then it's like, well, that's kind of tough there, Joe. Um, but I want to share this with you because I'm excited about it. I believe in marriage. My wife and I, we absolutely uh, believe in marriage, and, and that is uh, kind of where we are. I'll get to that in a second. But I want to talk about what does it take for marriages to fail? What does it take? I got my papers out of line. Hold on. I have my papers out of line. Don't move, those of you in the back that are with us forever. Yes. Um, today, my, my wife and I, and I measured it out. Let me see what time it is. It's close. We've been married for 37 years, five months, six days, 15 hours, and only 40 minutes. That's literally how long we've been married. And it's been amazing. It really has been. It's not all been sunshine and roses. Let me just tell you straight up. 
You know, maybe you have some other people whose marriages you look at and you say, man, if we just had a marriage like that, if we just had a relationship like that, I just want you to know it's not all been sunshine and roses. And, and, and people will say to me, and to some degree, I'm a little tired of it, okay, but they'll say to me, well, you guys, you know, you got lucky. My wife and I did not get lucky. We did not get lucky. Well, you found the right one. We did not found the right one. Okay, it's been a lot of hard work. It's been a lot of fights. Okay, that might surprise you a little bit that we fight. On the other hand, there's people that meet me that think that my wife must be a doormat, and then there's people that meet my wife and they think, man, her husband must be really whipped. And then they meet us together and they're like, how come you guys haven't killed each other yet? You know, because we're just both two driven people. You know, we're, we're moving forward. But the fact of the matter is we have worked through it, we have fought through it, um, and we have beat the odds of what's going on around us. And I want to address this again because of the growing rate that we see of failing marriages, but I'm not here to throw rocks at people. I'm here to warn us of what it takes to destroy a marriage, and then I want to build back and say, and this is what we need to do, and it's going to feel simplistic. It is. You're going to say, well, that's kind of overly simplistic. And yet the scripture says that Jesus said that we need to approach the kingdom of God like a child. That's pretty simplistic. It really is. And if we can tear it all down, it, it, there's a simple, um, it, there are some simplicities to it. But there are also complexities that make given situations difficult. And so this is the ideal that we're shooting at. We're shooting at an ideal. Okay, and we recognize that we don't always hit the ideals. Okay, so this is what this is kind of what we're looking at. Jesus said probably the most significant defining understanding of what it means to be a Christian is found in chapter uh, Luke chapter nine when he said this: Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, follow me daily. For wherever for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Okay, hands down, this is the single best advice that you will ever get about marriage ever and he's talking about a relationship to him and this is what he's saying once you get saved once you get married okay stay with me it's not about you so stop now it's not about you and for whatever reason, we don't always get to that place where it's healthy and we realize that it's about us now. From now on, we have to go through life and it's about us. And so we have to work together. And that means sacrifice. But believe it or not, one of the foundation tenets of Christianity is that we learn to live a life of sacrifice. I don't always get what I always want. And sometimes when I do get what I want and I stomp around like a baby until I do, it ends up being something that almost wrecks me and wrecks those around me. And so we have to understand that while there are um, marriages that will fail in our society, some of them are complex reasons. Generally, it's not that complicated. It has to do with the fact that it's not about me. And the sooner I can learn that, and I'm just, can I, I'm just gonna say this, okay? You can send me emails if you want, but I'm just gonna say this. We have a growing society and culture of individuals that do believe it's all about them and I better just get over myself. It's not about you. 
a given group of people in this country were made great when we recognized it's about us, not about me. And so we step forward in that. And the same thing is true of marriages. You come together. Think about it. You come together and you have to totally upend your way of thinking and living. The older you get before you get married, the more difficult it is. Why? Because you're a little more set in your ways. See? But you've got to be willing to make sacrifice for the us. Okay? It doesn't mean you can't want things and do things and things like that. But it's important. Here we go. Marriages fail. Why do marriages fail? Marriages fail when communications fail. When communication fails, marriages will fail. And by communication, I mean where we talk to understand each other instead of talking to win the argument, win the purchase, win the whatever it is I want. When we are willing to sit down and say, I need to understand you, you need to understand me, I'm not here to put you under my thumb and tell you how it is because I'm the man. You're not here to say, well, you agreed to this. We're not there. We're at the place where we're going to uh, communicate. And when we stop communicating, the given, even if it's a dating relationship, it will fail. Because you just, this is what I hear from people, we drifted apart. But that was intentional because you didn't intentionally do something about it, see? And marriage is going to be work. So when you stop dating, with all due respect, I'm talking to married people in here. When you stop dating, when you stop mating, and when you stop communicating, you're headed down a road you don't want to be going down because your communication has got to be to encourage and strengthen the relationship, and too often it disintegrates into disparaging the other person. Want me to tell you how stupid they are? You say somebody's stupid long enough and they'll either begin to believe it or they will hate you. So why do it? Why do it? When you begin to disparage yourself, listen, this is my motorcycle from years ago. I was, I was at a different church and my brother called me one day and he said, you know, the Lord just told me that you should have the car of your dreams. And I said, well, the car of my dreams is a motorcycle. And he said, well, I understood that. He said, you go buy it and I'll pay for half of it. I could not get out the door fast enough. Not really. I actually prayed about it for three years, uh, three, three years, my eye, three days because, <laughs> three years, <laughs> uh, three days because um, sometimes if somebody gives you a blessing that costs you a whole lot, then it's not really a blessing, is it? And so anyway, um, I went down there, and the long and short story is that I ended up purchasing that up at uh, Lexington at Man of War, and I absolutely loved it. That is pearl suede blue over top of black in a 2007 Road King Classic that when I bought it had 2.6 miles on it. 2.6. I put all 67,000 miles except those 2.6 on that motorcycle before I sold it. My wife and I went everywhere on that bike. We had a blast. That bike's about eight feet long, eight and a half feet long, and it's chrome, and I decorated it up, and I had somebody pinstripe it. You can't see it because it's just super subtle. And man, when you walked up to it, it was just like, oh, so beautiful. And people say, wow, that's a nice looking bike. And I said, thank you, thank you. But here's the problem. You see the front end of that tank, the gas tank, that round thing's the gas tank. You take your hand and you put it on that gas tank and you ride it down like this on the right-hand side. And just as soon as you get into the black where it comes back toward that chrome air cleaner, that big oval-looking thing, there's a little crack about that long. It's about a quarter of an inch long and it's through the paint. And I guess I could have gone back to the Harley dealer and said, listen, I'm going to buy it, but you've got to fix this. Take the tank off, repaint it, and do all that. But this is what began to happen. And I really had to fight myself. I had to fight myself. 
People would walk up to me when I was parked it somewhere and they would say, man, that's a good looking bike. Because I love to wash it, I love to wax it, I love to keep it clean. And I didn't know anything about ceramic coating back then. Okay, if I did, it would have been just even worse. It would just been terrible. But, but I, I did, and, and I loved it. And I would say, well, thank you so much, that's great. But there's this crack on it. There's this crack on it. Let me tell you about my crack on my, my motorcycle. There, it's about a quarter of an inch long. It's about that long. If you get down underneath of it like this and you do this, you can see it. Here, get down there and look at it, okay? Some of you do your marriages that way. Man, you're a good-looking couple. Yeah, well, he's so stupid. Listen, I, I've been doing this for tw almost 28 years now. I'm, I'm telling you, that's what I hear. Man, you guys are... You got it all together. Well, she's kind of dumb. It just looks like we've got it together. Man, she is such a problem. I'm, you know, she, she can't even cook. I'm, these are things I hear from people. And it's like, as soon as you say something nice, they have to say something disparaging about their own relationship. Listen to me. The longer I told people that there was a quarter of inch crack, the more I needed a new motorcycle. I did. This one's broke. This one's got 2.6 miles on it. it. Three by the time I got it home, seven by the, whatever. I, it's broke. I need a new motorcycle. Because when you begin to only see the fault, when you begin to disparage somebody and disparage somebody and disparage, pretty soon you're going to disrespect them. And when you disrespect them, the very next step is you're going to start hating them. You will. And that's where marriages fall apart. They fall apart because communication fails. And one of the things that we communicate is, you know, our relationship. Listen, my wife and I fight. There's people that that is just a surprise to. We don't even try to teach people not to fight. When we do marriage counseling, it's like, sit down. Today, we're going to teach you how to fight fair. Okay, you're going to go to war over something serious one time, like squeezing the toothpaste tube. You know, because some of you are psychopaths and some of you are mostly normal people. And you're going to do this. I, I tell you right now, I could rent space in the mall over there, put two of you in a room with a book and a lamp and a chair, and say, if you live here for a month, I'll give you 10 grand. And in less than a month, you will be at each other's throat. All you got to do is leave each other alone. But there's something about putting two people in close proximity that begins to rub people wrong. Pretty soon you see the quarter-inch crack. And then you start picking at the quarter-inch crack. And pretty soon it's like a ball bearing in a race. There's a ball bearing and there's an inside thing and an outside thing, and that's called the race. And when the ball bearing spins, it heats up and it gets hot. Unless there's grease there, and grease is a metaphor for oil, and oil is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. If God's in that relationship, coding those two people in that relationship, you'll be surprised how wonderful it can be. But if it's all about me... Those ball bearings are going to heat up and one day they're going to seize and that marriage is going to lock up. And then you're going to be sick and tired of it and you don't want it anymore and you're going to think like I did, I need a new bike. I got over that until I got to 67,000 miles and then it was like, er, we want the warranty again because we like to travel the United States, love to travel the United States on a motorcycle. But that's the case. That's exactly how marriages are. Marriages fail when communication stops, and when communication stops, we stop respecting each other, we begin to disparage each other, and it's kind of crazy. Second thing is marriages fail. Marriages fail when character and integrity fail. When you're willing to sacrifice your character and your integrity, your marriage is going to fail.
I'm not saying that you don't trip over, you don't sin, you don't do a fight that's not a fair fight, because like I said, we want to teach you how to fight fair, but sometimes people don't fight fair. There's times that I don't fight fair, and my wife says, you're not fighting fair. It's like, sorry I ever did that conference with her. You know, I was just winning. I was just winning. And it's tough. But when character integrity fail, when your word and your vow means nothing, when you begin to lie, to hide, to cheat, and to sneak, you are eroding your own relationships. When your selfishness takes over, your integrity starts dying. Can you do that? When your selfishness takes over, that's when your integrity starts dying. Let me tell you what I, what I mean by that. You know, I, I, my dad gets a bad rap around here, and I apologize, and I've asked God's forgiveness, and I've tried to be more careful about that. But one of the things that my did, dad did teach me is he said, Joe, he said, Jody, he called me Jody, he said, you'll only be as good as your word. You'll only be as good as your word. As a man, you are only as good as your word. When I stood with that young lady who was sitting there, but it's not anymore, she's done R-U-N-N-O-F-T. Um, when I was standing um, in front of uh, her uncle, who was the, the pastor that, that married us, this is what I said. I, Joe, take you, Janice, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish and to be faithful to you alone till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. Okay, that's the, that's the uh, covenant. That's, that's the vow that I made to her. This is a traditional vow. Most every wedding that I have done has got that in it somewhere, somehow. I've had people bring me vows that are like, oh, you're my best friend, and I think you're the most special thing, and you make me laugh, and so I'm going to be married to you forever. It's like, whoa, whoa, there's no covenant in this. There's no nothing except you're super cute, okay? you got to put a covenant in there that says before or according to God himself standing right here before these witnesses. This is my vow. Now look at this. We go into this and we think it's going to get better. We're going to get richer. We're going to get healthier. Woo! Love and cherish. Let's do this thing. Let's go. But we never stop and think it will get worse. It will get poorer or somebody will get sicker. And when that happens, people begin to bail. A man is only as good as his word. A woman is only as good as her word. And so we see that when the integrity of my word begins to crumble, so do my relationships. And that's not what we've been called to do. Marriages fail when boundaries fail. You know you're supposed to put boundaries around your relationships? You really are. Man, you put a ring on, on that person's hand, and ne that's the boundary. It needs to be say, hey, this is it. I made that vow in front of everybody. This is the one I choose. This is the one I'm with. This is the one I flirt with. This is the one I go home to. This is the one I run around with. This is the only one I have sex with. This is the one. That's what a boundary is. It says this is it. Look at what uh, Solomon says in the book of Proverbs chapter 5. Drink water from your own cistern. What does drinking water from your cistern have to do with marriage? <laughs> you understand what that means, right? I don't have to spell it clear out for you. It means you only get to have sex with the person you're married to. That's what that says. It has nothing to do with water and cisterns. Nothing at all, okay, in case you thought it did. It's not. Look at what it says. 
It says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow into the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Why do that? Why do that? And the point being here is that marriage is a choice. Solomon is telling his son, this is a choice that you're going to make. This is a choice. It's always a choice. Marriage is a choice. Love is a choice. Respect is a choice choice. I am not the guy that believes that I fell in love. I was infatuated with my wife. I was in lust with my wife in a wholesome way. But I did not just like fall over in love with her. It was romantic. Love is a verb. It's what you do. Jesus loved you on the cross. He loved you. That was not romantic. That was violent and ugly. See? So love is what we do for somebody, to show them how we feel about them. And so we recognize that love is a choice. I choose to get up and go to work. I choose to bring her flowers. I choose to, um, this past, uh, um, well, well, I'll get into that later, okay. So when you forget to hedge your marriage, when you forget to flirt inside of your marriage, when you choose to stop chasing each other. Can I say that with kids in the room? When you choose to stop chasing each other. You know the two best days of my life? Not, you know, I mean, Jesus aside, the day I got married, oh, it was great, huh? December 16th, 1983. By the time they said eight o'clock, as a matter of fact, you know, if, if I was to back up here and just tell you exactly, because I can do this. I, I, I did the math, okay? I did the math. 37 years, 5 months, 6 days, 15 hours, and roughly um, um, 40 minutes ago. I said, I do, and the, and the pastor said, you're married. And there it was. One of the best days of my life. Second best day of my life. When the last kid left the house, and it was ours again, and we were alone. Because two things happened. It was our house again. Okay? And if you're like, you can't say that in church, go read Song of Solomon chapter 7 and 8, if you're married. Read that, okay? Not much takes place inside. It's like, what? The crab orchard, the apple trees, the vines? It's like, oh my word, what's going on here? You can't say that in church. Yes, we can! And I was so glad. The other thing that happened was we'd gotten far enough along in life, we had two incomes. And we weren't feeding anybody but ourselves. Because they ate our money. They ate it. And it's like, now my kids are like, man, you're going on vacation again? Where's all this money coming from? It's like, you, you stopped eating at my house. It's like, this is what it costs. Come on. It was great. Don't stop chasing each other. Because the next thing that happens is you take each other for granted. You do. You forget to love each other. And you may not have physically left the marriage, but emotionally and relationship, uh, excuse me, emotionally and relationally, you ran into the life of somebody else. Not what God's plan is. 
If you leave your spouse this time, what's the odds you might do it again? You know that the odds of a marriage failing in America, and again, it's, it's, it depends on who you listen to, okay? 52%. That's the odds that your marriage is going to fail. 48 if you be conservative. Second marriage, 73% chance of failure. Uh, the next marriage, 92% chance of failure. You see what's going on? Because we get into habits. And the, the deal is, if we back up and allow Jesus into it, it falls out the bottom. That's all it takes. Get Jesus into this thing in a real way where it changes you. And I mean, if you're going to follow Jesus, Ephesians chapter 5, how did Jesus show us what marriage was supposed to look like according to Paul in, in, in the, in the church, to the church in Ephesus? He said Jesus got off the throne, came down here, okay, and then served us, washed our feet. That's what he said. And yet, for some reason, somehow our culture got the idea that I'm the man, I'm in charge. I'll say what it's going to be. Man, if you've got to say that, you're not. Not a man, not in charge. I'm, I'm, I know that's pretty toxic to say out loud, or maybe I should say caustic to say out loud. But listen to me, if you've got to do that. Jesus came down here and said, come follow me. It was an invitation. He didn't come down here with a hammer. He came down here with an invitation and said, come, follow me. Let me love you. Let me protect you. Let me walk with you. Let me listen to you. Let me learn from you. Let me teach you. And that's what Ephesians 5 is about. So when we think, well, you know, a husband's role, a husband's role is to get off the throne, to give up his natural, I mean, his, his God-given right and come down here and take on his God-given responsibility. See? And so that's what we're up against. That's what tears a marriage apart. Let's put it back together. How can I have the greatest marriage possible? Because great marriages happen because of this. Okay, that'll be the title. Great marriages happen because, number one, you pour into your marriage. You pour into your marriage. You pour into your relationship. Great relationships happen because you pour into your relationship. All right? It's hard work. It takes dating. My wife and I still date. My wife went with the grandkids up to some like bouncy place up, you know, in Lexington where they jump on trampolines and throw balls at each other and you know, like try to break each other's neck. I don't know why my daughter does that, but she brought them home safe, okay? I was home alone. And it's like, hmm. And I'm thinking about my wife and I'm thinking, how do I pour into my marriage today? And it's like, I'm gonna take her on a date. So I text her. Hey, will you go to the movie with me tonight at 7 o'clock with dinner at Brandon Crossing? You get dinner and a show there. All of a sudden, I got, yeah, in big letters and kissy face. And it's like, yes, I win. It happens. Great marriages happen because you're willing to do the hard work. But here's the deal. Don't think of it as hard work. It's just life. People that are like, yeah, but it's hard. It's hard. No, it's not. Stop making it hard. Stop saying there's a quarter inch crack in this thing. It's just life. Hey, I got to get all my work done around here and put the dishes in the dishwasher so that when she comes home, we're going to have about an hour and a half before we got to hit the road again. And thank goodness we went the back way instead of up the highway the other day when it was choked up clear to Cincinnati. It's like, man. We go on dates. Check this out. Great marriages happen when you pour into your marriage. When you go on vacation without the kids. You know, I've met people that are like, 
yeah, we've, we've never left our kids. Uh, you know, it's our responsibility, and we take it seriously. Your child's 41! <laughs> Do not take the child on vacation! Come on, listen, those of you that are parents, new parents, going to be parents, whatever, let me just give you a clue. Leave the children with grandma and grandpa. Mostly grandma, but with grandma and grandpa. Okay? <laughs> when they get a little bigger, leave them with grandpa. But, you know, till then. Seriously, your children should not be the center of your family. You were a family before you got children. They are your blood. They are always going to be your children. You made a vow before God to stay with that person next to you. That's the one God takes super serious because this one's supposed to leave you. And I'm going to tell you that covenant is more important to God. And this is not a popular thing to say in Appalachia, Kentucky. That covenant is more important than the blood in your veins and your relationship to that child. Because you made a covenant between you and that person before God Almighty. And you said, this is my vow. And God said, sealed. And then he blessed you with a gift called children if you've had children. And they're supposed to leave you. They're, you're still going to be their mom and dad. And that's a good thing. But you've got to do that. You pour into marriage by having goals. Do you have marriage goals? Are they goals that both of you agree to? Because I've met people that are like, yeah, we got goals. And husbands are like, yeah, we got goals. Well, you know, we're going to be at this point. We've got a 401k. It's going to be at this. This is our goal. We're not buying that new car. not buying that new house. not even buying those new shoes. not happening. And the wife's like, yeah, we got goals. Yeah. Are you both on page, on the same page? Yeah, we're on the same page. No, you're not. You're not on the same page. You're dominating one another. You have to give and take. Christianity is built on sacrifice. It is. So sometimes we just have to say we're going to do what we both want to do. Say, I know, but what we both want to do is do this, and we want to retire when we're like, you know, 37, and so we've got to do this, and we can't do that. Another person going, yeah. And it's not always the wife. It's not, I, I'm a, I kind of am hard on men. I get it. It's not always the wife. Sometimes the man's like, yeah, can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Man, do you have goals that both of you get excited about? That's what you should have. Work it out until you both stop bullying one another into what you want. Write this down. A stable and secure home will build stable and secure children. You want healthy children? You want to know how you're going to survive in the world that you and I live in with your children facing the things that your children face, then you've got to start with a specifically, specifically secure and stable relationship. And listen to me, it has to be built on a foundation of Jesus. There's no sneaking, no hiding, no cheating because kids see it all. They see it all. And if you can be fake, your children will believe that they can be fake. So, pour into your marriage. Number two, you protect your marriage. Set a hedge around it. Set a hedge around your marriage. Set a hedge around your relationship. Hate me for this. Send me emails if you want to. I'm good with it, okay? Leave the people that undermine your relationship. When you're at a family gathering and you're like, ah, we're having a little rough time right now. We both want to do this. And somebody goes, well, I told you he was stupid. Leave. Leave the house. 
walk out. Mom, we're leaving. Sorry, sorry. Well, did I say something? Well, yes, you did. You can't talk about my spouse that way. It's not going to happen. Walk out the door. Well, we won't say it anymore, honey. We'll keep thinking it, but we won't say it. Keep walking. They will soon learn that if they want to be in your presence, they'll stop undermining your relationship because you made a vow before God, and anybody that attacks that is under threat, is under warning from God himself. But listen, you've got to leave friendships. You've got to be willing to leave things, not just family, anything that attacks or begins to erode your marriage, people that are taking you away from a healthy marriage relationship, people that are pulling you into the bars, people that are pulling you out with the guys. There has never been a time in my life that I can think of at all that I ever got off work and needed to stop at a bar somewhere or hang out with the guys before I went home to that ball and chain. I never saw her as that. Man, I won her heart. I couldn't wait to get home. When I saw her, I felt a little more complete. I may be codependent, but I'm 37, almost 38 years codependent. And I will continue to be codependent because I like it. I like that my kids get to see it. They know that we're not perfect. You want to know what my marriage is like? Go ask my kids. It's not been perfect, but I fought for it. I stayed in it. I kept pressing in. I kept pouring in. And at one point, we built hedges. You protect the marriage. Check this out. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Is that not amazing? Do you know that that's, it's, that in quotes is not even Scripture? It's not even Scripture. It is now because Paul said it. He's quoting a Greek poet named Menander. He pulled a cultural reference right off the TV and stuck it right in his letter to the church in Corinth. He said, you know, bad company corrupts good character. If the, care, the company that you're around is undermining your relationships, you need to think that through. You really do. Is that what you want? Because you've got, a, you've got to build a strong relationship. And it's crazy. It's crazy what happens. A safe marriage is a marriage that's envied. Can you go there? That's the sum of that thought. A safe marriage is a marriage that's envied. People will look over at you and say, man, how are you guys doing it? I want that kind of a marriage. See? Yeah. It's also a safe marriage is the most dangerous situation you'll find yourself in because people will look and say, man, I want somebody that's that, that's that attentive to their husband and that attentive to their children and that productive. I'm going to go steal that woman or I'm going to go steal that man. And it's like, yikes. But as soon as you steal that, it's broken and it's not what you wanted. And hence the spiraling marriage statistics. The last thing is you prioritize your marriage. Don't prioritize your money. Don't prioritize your retirement. Don't prioritize your financial stability. God, please don't let this happen. But I've often said, and I, asked, I honestly believe it, I would rather live in a cardboard box under an overpass with my wife than to violate that vow that I made and be lonely. I would. I would. 
I'll move into a smaller house. I'll let go of things. They're just stuff. Being with her is forever. And then I've got to prioritize that the marriage is not only me. These are the things that cause a marriage to be great. I know I went through them a little bit quick, but these are the things you use to hedge your marriage. You get married, you slip a, a ring on. Sorry, it's off because I got COVID fat, you know, and we all know what that is maybe. Maybe some of you don't, but I got COVID fat, and it's one of those rings that doesn't bend or anything, and I got scared, and I panicked, and I had to get it off, and, you know, I almost, like, had to see somebody, but I got it off. And so um, it terrified me. Point being, you put a ring on, and that's a hedge. You don't date that person if you're not married to them. You don't flirt with that person if you're not married to them. You don't go have lunch with that person if you're not married to them. Not alone anyway. That ring, that ring is a hedge. And when you start busting through hedges, you end up in somebody else's field. And that is not where you belong. Because often when cattle go through the fence and end up in somebody else's field, they get taken to market and slaughtered. And whoever's field they were in just got a freezer full of beef. But that's all they got. And the cow got nothing. A prioritized marriage is a fun marriage. It's a fun marriage. When you're bragging, I, I can't wait to get home. We're going to go do this tonight. I can't wait to get home. We're working on this at the house. I can't wait to get home. We've got these goals, and we're going to be working on them today, and it's going to be great. Marriage becomes fun. It's not hard. You just have to get out of your way and off the throne in any relationship, especially the one you have with Jesus. Your relationship to Jesus is supposed to be reflected horizontally in your relationships to one another on this earth, especially in marriage, according to Ephesians chapter 5. That's why these things are so important to God. That's why blood is not as important as covenant. And that's not me speaking. That's the word of God. Protect your marriage, pour into your marriage, all so that you can enjoy your marriage. Because that's what's supposed to be going on. And we live in a world that's attacking our marriages. And so our goal is to build strong families. And listen to me, if you find yourself missing the ideal, we want to help you rebuild build the ideal. Start where you are and move forward. God wants to move you forward. Don't let, I'm not saying anything that I want to use to throw rocks at you. If you've been in a broken relationship, take a deep breath and let's move forward. And let's begin to say, hey, what would it take to build a strong one? And let's do that. Let's pray. God who is in heaven, we want to thank you and we want to praise you for being our God, for loving us, for being the blessing of our life, for showing us what things are supposed to look like. But more than anything, for looking down and, and realizing that Adam did not need to be alone either and that you brought him Eve and that neither one of them is supposed to be lording it over each other but rather loving and serving each other uh, in their uh, subsequent roles. As we come to you, God, we thank you for what it means to, to look at a couple and say this is what God looks like. God, I just pray for our relationships in Central Kentucky right now amidst everything that's gone on in the last year, the toll that it's taken on them. I just ask and pray, God, that you would help us Help us to be a people that build enviable relationships just so that we can tell people about you and you being the grease, the oil in, in our of all bearing race. 
I thank you for that. God, I pray over the, the relationships and the marriages that are in here. I ask and pray that you would anoint them. Those that are watching, God, I pray an anointing upon them. I ask and pray that you would fill them up with an awareness of what it means to, to let go and to not make it so much work or to make it so hard, but to love one another, to esteem one another, God, and to reach things together. I thank you for this time together and ask and pray, pray that you would be here, right here in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. These people are up here, and I'm just going to invite you, Chrissy, if, if you would just come this way. We don't normally do this, and I know that the prayer team is, that's good. I know that the prayer team has done this, but I just want them up here. Can you come over here just a little bit? There you go. There you go. Listen, we want to pray for you. Okay? Sometimes you're in a difficult situation. Sometimes you want to be in a relationship. Sometimes you're in a relationship and it's a difficult situation. But you just want somebody to pray for you. That's all. Just, would somebody just pray for me? We want to pray for you. Sometimes you're going through something that has nothing to do with anything I've said today. <laughs> and that's okay too. We still want to pray for you. Jesus died for you. He loves you. And I want to encourage you that that's why we're here. Because we all need some Jesus this morning. Okay? While we're singing this next song, these people are up here to pray for you. Why don't you come up to your feet, and uh, MJ's going to lead us in, in this song with the team. And then if you want prayer, just come on up here, and, and let's pray for you, okay? Let's just do that.